Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Find in your Bibles, please, Colossians chapter 1. We want to continue teaching on the subject of intercessory prayer. Do you mind that? Intercessory prayer. Praise the name of the Lord. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I believe we're learning the truth about the subject of intercessory prayer, don't you? Amen. Father, we thank you now that in Jesus' mighty name we have the right to approach your word with reverence and with humility. And we do so knowing, dear Father God, that the spirit of truth will unveil to our hearts the deep, rich treasures of your word as the word goes forth in demonstration of the spirit and of power to produce faith not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of the living God. I thank you, dear Father God, that your word is alive within each and every one of our hearts. Our hearts are receptive. Our minds are attentive. Our ears are open. And we now channel ourselves to receive from your word. And we will receive from your word and be living epistles of the living Christ known and read of all men. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Praise God. First of all, we said an intercessor is one who pleads another's case. One who pleads another's case before God. Also, one who stands against evil forces. There's two sides. One who communes with the Father. See, intercession is communing with the Father, and it's also restraining the evil forces of darkness. To have a good understanding of intercessory prayer, we need to know both. And sometimes when it comes to wrestling against the powers and principalities of darkness, we have a tendency to forget we also need to commune with the Father to get instruction so that we know what we should be doing. See, that's where communion comes in. Intercession is communion with the Father, which is praying with the Father, And it's also praying against the evil forces of darkness. And that's called wrestling or agonizing, striving, laboring. Wrestling, agonizing, striving, or laboring against the forces of darkness. Now, I want you to notice in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, we have an example of the first type of intercession, which is communion. Paul, the apostle, is praying... For the church at Colossae. And he says in verse 9. For this cause we also since the day we heard it. Do not cease to pray for you. Now the Bible says pray without ceasing. He was not praying vain repetitions. But he was praying in essence the same thing for all the churches. And I want you to notice what he was praying. He said I do not cease to pray for you. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. I want you to notice the very first thing He prayed for. I pray and desire that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will. So you might think, well, now, what should I be praying for this church or this assembly? Or what should I be praying for this brother who's not walking in the light of... Uh, the wisdom of God. Who, what should I pray? Well, the first thing to pray for is that he would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. 
See, he's talking to the Father here, and he's saying, Father, I just pray that they're filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so they can walk worthy of you and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, now, that's the first part of it. But I want you to now go to the fourth chapter and we'll find out that when it comes to wrestling or striving or agonizing against the powers of darkness, in essence, you're doing the exact same thing. He said, I pray that they would, would know your will and be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, look at here in the fourth chapter, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, laboring fervently. Laboring means striving, wrestling, or agonizing is a better rendering of that word. It means to agonize or to contend with an adversary. And so we can understand here that he's not agonizing or contending with God, is he? He's agonizing with, contending with the forces of darkness, restraining the evil forces of darkness. Well, for what purpose? For what reason? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now, I want you, this is very important. Paul is praying to the Father that that person or that church, or the people of the church would stand in the, the will of God, would know the will of God, and walk in the will of God, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then Epaphras for the same church. Same church. See, Paul's praying for that church, communing with the Father, desiring them to be filled with the knowledge of your will. And then Epaphras, on the other hand, he is laboring or striving against the forces of darkness. For what purpose? That they would be perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now, you think about the Lord's Prayer and you find out exactly what Jesus said to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Communion with the Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. First thing he said to pray for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is being done in heaven. God's will is being wrought in heaven. God's will cannot be wrought in the earth unless somebody prays so that that will will be done. See, God's will is not being done in the earth. Now, it's important we understand that both sides of prayer we see here involves praying the will of God. Why is Paul and Epaphras so concerned about the will of God in individuals' lives? Why should they be so concerned about it that one would actually begin to agonize and strive in prayer against the forces of darkness so that they would be complete in all the will of God? You remember that when Jesus came to the earth, he says, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus was the living word manifest in the flesh walking upon the face of this earth. Jesus came to carry out the perfect will of the Father in the earth. And you find out that the struggle that he had with the kingdom of darkness or with the forces of darkness was fulfilling the Father's will and not doing his own will. He says, I came to do my Father's will, not mine own will. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find out not only did he use the word in the wilderness to cause the devil to be put to flight, but we find out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus agonized in prayer. He was so burdened and laden with, with prayer that he fell on his face, the Bible says. 
And he began to agonize or to cry out in prayer in so much as it seemed as though he was sweating drops of blood. And again, for what purpose? So that not mine will would be done, but that thine would be done. I want you to see something here. We have a choice. We can either do the Father's will or we can do our own will in our lives. As a church, we can do what the Father wills for us to do or we can just do what we want to do. There isn't any individual, as far as I'm concerned, that should have, if they're involved in in leadership in this church, there shouldn't be any individual here that should be concerned about having their will done in this assembly. Everybody should be involved in doing the Father's will in this assembly. And if it's going to be done in our lives individually and corporately as a body, then it's going to take prayer. Without prayer, it will not be done. See, Jesus agonized in prayer against the hostile forces of darkness. He agonized in prayer against the weaknesses of the flesh. He agonized in prayer against the hardness of men's hearts. If Jesus had to agonize in prayer, if Jesus had to labor in prayer, if Jesus had to cry out as if it were tears and and sweating drops of blood in prayer, in order to fulfill the will of the Father for His life, how much more should we have to participate and fellowship with Him in His intercessory prayer life by also following Him and through tears and through agonizings and laborings and strivings in prayer Stand complete in all the will of God. See, when it comes to our own individual lives, the flesh just doesn't want to pray. It doesn't want to serve God. It doesn't want to do the will of God. So what do we do? I guarantee if you get on your knees before God and begin to really cry out unto Him to change you by His Spirit, He will. I mean in sincerity of heart. You know, with a sincere heart, cry out unto the Lord. I've got a weakness in this area of my life, Father God. Get into other tongues and begin to pray. And don't run away from God, but run to the Father. And when you run to the Father, you get before His presence and just... You say, well, I don't know, I just don't feel like... Let me say, share something with you that the Lord spoke to my heart. You're never going to feel like praying. But there is a spirit of prayer. There is a spirit of prayer. I remember one time in, in my own individual life when I don't know why, it just seemed like it was very difficult to pray. Just is very difficult to pray. I mean, I, I enjoy praying. But in this one particular, well, this one particular time, it was just very difficult for me to pray. And I just didn't know what to do about it. I just, it just felt like it just was all dry. You ever been there? Of course, you've never been there. I know you've never been there. But it was dry. You know what I mean by dry? Brother Hagin said it's like washing your feet with your socks on. Yuck. (laughs) Know what I'm talking about? 
or giving your little baby a kiss after they had a big lollipop in their mouth. You know what I mean? I mean, it was just dry. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, hey, it's me. Well, what's, what, what's, what's the matter with me? I, I don't understand this. I mean, you know, especially if you're, you're a preacher, you're supposed to pray. Well, you know, preachers are human beings. Feel the same things you feel. Jesus was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus knew what it was like to walk in the human body. But I just didn't know what to do, so I was just, just in silent prayer, if you can call it that. And I believe silence before the Lord is prayer. And it just rose up from within me and said, just out of my spirit, and said, bind that spirit that has bound up your prayer life and release your prayer. I never thought of that. I knew a lot of things I never thought of when, when God leads me by his spirit. I never even thought to do that. Oh, I thought it was me. See, I thought, me, something's wrong with me, see. You know, every time something goes wrong, we're always trying to find out what's wrong with me. Sometimes I think we forget we have an adversary out there. We're just, you know, what's wrong with me? Well, there wasn't anything wrong with me. See, these evil forces of darkness are ever endeavoring to put the pressure upon us so that we will not agonize in prayer before God. We will not labor in prayer before God. Beloved, you're not going to reach the lost in an effective way unless we get down on our knees and begin agonizing prayer. We're not going to have birds into the family of God unless we get before the Lord and actually want it and desire it. He said desire. Desire these things of the Spirit. And cry out unto the Lord. We're not going to have people standing complete in all the will of God unless somebody, somebody like an Epaphras begins to pray for the people to stand complete in all the will of God. How? By laboring or striving against the powers of darkness in prayer. Well, you see, there is a spirit of prayer. And we can lose that spirit of prayer if we neglect the prayer life. Or if an evil force binds up our prayer lives. I want you to know I just, just, I was amazed when I heard it with inside myself because I just never heard anybody do it. So I stopped right there where I was and I said, you foul devil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that has bound up my prayer life. I rebuke you and I bind you in Jesus name. Now loose me and let me go. Just like that. And I mean to tell you, I started going 150 miles an hour. I almost got picked up for speeding. Glory to God, I just started to let go in other tongues just like that. I just had a glorious time in the Lord. But have you ever been there? It seems like you're praying, but it just seemed like, hmm, it's just dry. It's just, you know, you're, you're hitting up against a stump. Just dry. Well, that's what we need to seek commune with God and get direction. What are we going to do? Seek the Lord. Commune with Him. That's intercessory prayer also. Well, when anybody ever endeavors to enter into this type of praying or prayer, you're going to find out that there's going to be a host of darkness. I mean, there's going to be a lot of satanic influence that's going to come your way to keep you out of praying. You ever find out that when you start praying a lot in other tongues, it seems like something always tries to attack your throat like a, a sore throat or a cold or something like that? Don't give yourself away now, because if you start bringing other tongues a lot, you're just going to, you, your adversary is just going to just get all over it because he doesn't like it. See, that kind of prayer pulls down strongholds. I want to say it just the way it is. That kind of praying in other tongues, in agonizing prayer, doesn't just necessarily mean travail all the time. Could be just weeping. Could be tears. Weeping before the Lord. Jesus cried. Jesus had tears. He wept. 
He sighed. He groaned. He agonized. He labored. He fell on his face. He was so burdened down with prayer. It, this is exactly what it does. Intercessory prayer in agonizing and laboring to travail, you know what it does? It overpowers the forces of darkness. It overpowers the forces of darkness that are influencing an individual's will. Now, you've been out there where the satanic influences are trying to put the pressure upon you to be either angry or to be negative or to just get involved in worldly things. Not to pray, not to read your Bible. These influences, they put the pressure on you. To doubt, to waver from your faith, they put the pressure on you. Well, if I believe and you believe that the devil can put the pressure on you to get over in this here area of his kingdom, why can we not believe that the power that is released through intercessory prayer, through agonizing in prayer, laboring in prayer, striving in prayer, whichever way you want to call it, weeping in prayer, whichever way you want to call it, it's fine with me because it's all scriptural, it's all the same. Why can we not believe that that releases a power of God that overpowers the powers of darkness that's putting the pressure on you or a church or an individual, keeping them out of the will of God? If it didn't work, then Epaphras was wasting his time. But it works, and Epaphras wasn't wasting his time. He was pushing back, hurling back the forces of darkness for this church so that they can stand complete in all the will of God. Once again, I emphasize the will of God. See, I can control the will of God in my life and for my life. I can do something about God's will being done in my life. I can yield to the will of God for my life. But I can't yield to the will of God for your life. I can't yield to God's will for this whole entire assembly. I mean, if everybody wanted to rebel like uh, the children of Israel did you know, against Moses and Aaron out there in the wilderness. Well, Moses and Aaron had a hard time, didn't they? Because, you see, they were rebelling against what God's will was for them as a corporate body. Well, if that were to happen, see, there isn't anything I can do about it except we can get the intercessors to start praying where he's going to just pull, push back the forces of darkness so that God's will can be wrought. But I don't have any control over your will. And you don't have any control over somebody else's will. But, through intercessory prayer, striving in prayer, we can overpower the forces of darkness that influencing that person's will so that they can be free to see more clearly what the will of God is for their life. Beloved, that's work. I want you to know that that is work. That is being caught up in the intercession of our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane when he interceded for the lost. Because the whole world was lying in darkness and they were not involved in the will of God. And that's exactly what he did for the world. And that's why it was such a great time of intercession for him in such a way that he was so you know, burdened down that he was agonizing in that prayer to get these people. Of course, look what's happened. We've all come to him, haven't we? You know, we are the fruit of his labors. Are we not? He dug up the fallow ground. The seed was sown into the earth. It was himself. And through his intercession that started then and is continuing on throughout the ages, we many have come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. 
to be born again. So intercessory prayer works for the lost, doesn't it? Because we once were lost, but now we're found. Well, let me show you something here in Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul, we're going to just go somewhat in, in a different direction this evening because there's some things I need to say that I believe are very important. And I need your undivided attention because these statements of truth are very important for each and every one of our individual lives. It will determine whether or not you enter into the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ or not. I said it will determine whether or not you partake of the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ or not. And so I want to share some of these truths with you that the Spirit of God has been witnessing to my heart. In the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, we see a man named Saul of Tarsus who's going out and breathing threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, when Jesus appeared unto him, he was trembling and astonished and said, Lord, 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 everybody say this with me, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Say it this way, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? To put it better, Lord, what's your will for my life? Lord, what is your will for my life? See, Paul had control over his will. And yielding his will to the Father, or to the Lord Jesus here. He wanted to know what the will of, the, of Jesus was for his life, and so he asked them. There's a lot of people that are not actively involved in the will of God for their life because they never asked them. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What is it you'd have me to do? Well, he went on and told him exactly what he had him to do. And uh, you know the story here. But go over to chapter 26 and we'll see something here that Jesus told him. Now, he's rehearsing the same thing before King Agrippa. And in verse 14, he says, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I want you to see something here. Jesus told him something there on the, on the road to Damascus, and he says, this is my will for your life. This is my will for your life. To go, I want to make you a minister, go to the Gentiles and turn them from the powers of darkness to the power of light. This is my will for your life. Are you willing to do my will for your life? Number one. Number two, he said to the king, O king, I was not 
disobedient. I was not disobedient to the vision. He was obedient to the vision or to the will of God. He was willing and he was obedient. All right. With that thought in mind, go to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Paul was willing. In other words, he gave his will over to do the Father's will. And number two, Paul was obedient to what the Lord had asked him to do. In verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... You shall be devoured with a sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, I want you to see this here. We can either be willing and obedient to do the will of God for our lives, or we can refuse and rebel. If we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. If we refuse and rebel, we'll be devoured. Now, I want you to see this. I can't control other people's lives. Here is where intercessory prayer comes in. If you and I individually, if we were all doing the will of the Father for our lives then the only prayer we'd be praying for ourselves would just be, I thank you that I'm standing complete in all your will, walking in the light of your will, and I'm eating the good of the land. But when a people or an individual person refuses and rebels against the known will of God for their individual life, then they're going to have a lot of trouble in their life. They're not going to enter into the promises of God, and they're going to be devoured in the land. Here's where we need to have individuals that are going to begin to pray for what purpose? That thy will be done in those people's lives. That the will of the Lord be done in that individual's lives. And then we're going to stand against the forces of darkness because the only way we can get that person to walk in light of God's will for their life is by pushing back them forces of darkness because they are in a grave danger. If they continue on that way, if a church continues on that way, that church eventually will be destroyed. If the individual continues on that way, that individual is going to suffer great loss in the kingdom of God. And they may even lose their salvation. And I'll get to that in a minute, but there's some other things we want to bring out first. That's why it's of utmost importance when people are out of the will of God for their lives, we need to see that need, and we need to be touched with the feeling of their infirmity and see that as a true intercessor and begin to cry out unto the Lord knowing what the end of their life might hold. 
See, when you, when, you're only going to live one time on this earth. And the Father has a will for your life. If I'm not involved in that will for my life, His will and purpose will never be fulfilled in the earth through my life. And you only live once. Only have one chance to do it. There are many that have neglected to or refused to or rebelled against doing the will of God for their life. And years have gone by and come and gone. And then finally just got to a place that they just didn't do it and refused to do it. And they're trying now to enter into the blessings of God. They're trying now to get their faith to be, you know, productive and operative. But they're having a hard time getting their faith to work for them. And why is it? Well, the reason is because as this is a conditional prophecy, there are also conditional judgments. There are conditional prophecies in the Bible. And there are also conditional judgments. There are unconditional prophecies and unconditional judgments. But there's also conditional prophecies and judgments. For an example, Jesus is going to come again. That is unconditional. It's not based on any of what anybody does. Jesus is coming. Anybody believe Jesus? The resurrection of the dead is going to take place. You believe that? It's unconditional. It's not based on what you do. It's going to happen. Do you see that? But this is a conditional prophecy. It's based on your two things, willingness and obedience. If you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So eating the good of the land is what? It's based, it's conditional based on whether or not we're willing and obedient. Okay, so to enter into the promise of God, we need to be willing to do God's will for our life and we need to be obedient also to do God's will for our life. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. God, our Father, is a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy and He's a God of faith. For those of you that are involved in intercessory prayer, and really we all should be involved in intercessory prayer, I think there's been a neglect in teaching, and myself I include in that area, concerning the judgment of God. I believe a lot of times individuals spend time in prayer trying to change some things that they can't change. Trying to pray from things for some things that happen that's just not going to happen. I'm going to explain that to you accurately from the Word so that you can understand it and see it clearly. And if we would just channel our praying or our interceding in another direction, we'd get some results and we'd, you know things would happen. But sometimes we try to focus ourselves in praying the way we want to pray, focus our attention on, on what's happening in the outward realm, and we're praying the way we want to pray, and we're not communing with God enough to find out exactly what we should be praying about or what, you know, how we should be praying. That's why Romans 8.26 says, because of our feebleness, our infirmities of our, flat, of our mind, that the will of God is not being done in prayer. Likewise, the Spirit Himself also maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. But you see, the more we find out what we should pray for as we ought, then the easier it is to pray for somebody. Well, let's look at this here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the God that we serve is a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
after Paul was talking about the Lord's Supper in verse 30 and 31. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Everybody say, if I would judge myself, I would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. Will somebody tell me where the world's been condemned to? I kind of thought that. You mean he's talking to believers? I don't know anybody else that's allowed to participate in celebrating the Lord's Supper, do you? I want you to see something here. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many have died premature deaths. For if we would judge ourselves, well, judge ourselves for what? Judge ourselves. See, he's a God of judgment. And once judgment comes, that judgment can be either conditional or unconditional. If it's unconditional, it cannot be changed. If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. That's a conditional prophecy. If you're not, you're going to be devoured if you're rebelling, if you refuse. Well, if we were to judge ourselves to see whether or not we were actively involved willingly and being obedient to fulfilling the will of God for our lives, then we will eat the good of the land. But if we don't judge ourselves and refuse to judge ourselves and rebel against what the will of the Lord is for our lives, then we are going to be judged of the Lord. And if we're judged of the Lord, we're going to be chastened. And if we're chastened of the Lord, it can mean, be a reason why many are sick, weak, and some have died premature deaths. And that's why any, someone's faith couldn't get them healed. See, some were praying to get that person healed. And you can't get that person healed and you, know, you don't know why. I'm praying and praying and praying and interceding and interceding and interceding to get that person healed. Well, there's more to intercessory prayer than just that. We need to find out how we can get that person actively involved in the will of God for their life. And if they're not involved in the will of God for their lives... If it's only a conditional judgment, it can be changed. If it's an unconditional judgment, even though they are sick, they're not going to get healed. They're not going to get set free. Because, you see, if we're judged of the Lord, we'll be chastened so that we're not condemned unto death with the world. Now, I'm going to prove that to you by Scripture to show you how true it is. Go back with me to the book of Exodus chapter 23. How many of you want to enter into the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ? How many of you want to walk in those blessings? How many want to enjoy your land of inheritance? Well, he said the only way you're going to get into that land and enjoy it and eat the good of that land is to be willing and obedient to what God's will is for your life. I don't care if it's just singing a song from this microphone. He has a general revealed will in his word that every believer should be actively involved in. That's why sometimes I just have to cry from within when I see people missing church. My brothers and my sisters, you couldn't get me out of church when I first got saved. And I come from a background that I didn't know anything about the Pentecostal movement. I didn't know anything about the Word of God. I knew I belonged in church. That is part of the will of God. He already stated that in His Word. His Word says, Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some of the matter of some is. See, so it's His will that we do that. He doesn't have to come down and send an angel to tell me that because I have a more sure word of prophecy. He already told me to do that in His Word. And so I got actively involved in, a, in, in the general revealed will of God for every believer. Not all every believer plays the guitar. 
But I did. And so I sensed within myself, this is something I can do for the Lord. So I just started to do something for the Lord by playing my instrument for the Lord and using it for His glory and honor. So I began to pursue what the will of God would be more definite or specifically in my life. And I continued on. And I'll explain, if we have time, some, some of these things, how we got involved in getting into the specific will of God for our lives. But generally speaking, every single one of us should be doing certain things. Like well, when people start arguing and, and getting upset about tithing. When I hear Christians say, well, should we tithe off the net or tithe off the gross? If you have to ask that question, tithe off the gross. Oh, I had so many come to me. I said, what's your motive behind that? You want to just not give God? You're not tithing to the church. You're tithing to your Heavenly Father. I tell you what, I have the privilege of tithing off the gross. It is my privilege to tithe off the gross of what I make. Not for any church. I'm not speaking to you just promote this church. I'm talking about when I was just, just born again. I tithe off the gross. And when someone coming to try to tell, well, you ain't supposed to tithe off the gross. I said, well, dear Lord. Uncle Sam comes along and he just says, I'm going to take 15% out of your paycheck. God only asks for 10. He takes it off, no questions asked, right off whatever you make. Then tries to sneak in and find out if you made any more on the side. The father sits back and just says, this is my commandment. He's not regulating that. He just says, hey, I said do it. You say, well, why doesn't he come down here and tell me to do it? Because you'll stand before a judgment seat one day and he'll ask you then. <laughs> oh, Lord. Forgive us all. Let's say the scripture again. If we were to judge ourselves we would not be judged of the Lord. Oh, thank you, Father. So judge ourselves. Well, Matthew 23, and I'm sorry, Exodus 23 and 23. See, if, if we were just begin to do the will of God for our lives that's generally revealed to us in the Scriptures, then we're going to be able to enter in, you know, more, I believe, quickly, into the specific will of God for our lives. There are those that just delay in receiving the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. I'll tell you what, you couldn't get me to that altar fast enough. When I found out you need to be baptized in water, I didn't give the preacher time to wait to Sunday or Wednesday night service. I said, he is in my living room. And I said, I'm just out of the so-and-so background. I just got saved recently and I'm born again. And, and, and I want to know if I should be baptized in water. And I've asked this person. And they said they gave me their opinion. I asked that one. They gave me their opinion. I'm asking you. You're a preacher. You, you, know, you know the Bible. You taught the Bible. You teach the Bible. And so on and so forth. He says, well, as far as I'm concerned, you're not born again until you're baptized in water. I says, well, let's throw that out the window because I'm, I'm born again whether I've been baptized or not. But should I be baptized in water? He says, absolutely you should. I said, let's go right now. The quicker, the more willing we are to be involved in the general revealed will of God, the better off we're going to be spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. The more we delay fulfilling the will of God for our life, I'll tell you what, you're going to start to get devoured little by little. When I start running out and doing God's will for my life, I, you just better believe there's a host of angels right around you and God the Father looking down upon you with a smile upon His face and saying, my eyes are looking out for somebody like you. So, you see, if we start getting actively involved in the will of God for our individual lives, I'll tell you what, they'll take a load off the intercessors. 
I said it would take the load off the intercessors. I didn't say they'd stop. They'd continue to pray, but it would take a load off of intercessors. We'd be praying then for the lost because the believers would be actively involved in the will of God. See, we all fit in the body of Christ in a certain place from whom the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. The whole body making an increase unto the edifying of itself in love. From the head, see, from whom the whole body jointly fit together. Well, Jesus put us all together, put us all in the place in the body of Christ. We make up his body upon the face of the earth. I may be a hand, you may be a foot, an ear or an eye, whatever. Well, he, he, he's the head. But wherever we fit in the body of Christ here upon the face of the earth, we need to be in that position or in that place so that his body can, can actively carry out his will in this earth. If not, we're missing you know, what God would have us to do. That's why their prayers were centered in and focused in on getting people in the will of God. Did you notice that? The prayer Paul interceded for the, for the people was that they would be involved in the will of God for their life. Epaphras was praying against the poor forces of darkness so that they would be involved in the will of God for their life. Why? Because he knew if you weren't in the will of God. And what did Paul say to, the, to Jesus? What wilt thou have me to do? See, he didn't just go off and start saying, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. What wilt thou have me to do? He got Jesus' will for his life. Okay, now let's see something here. Exodus 23, verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee to the land under the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Now notice this. It's conditional. Their entrance into the promised land is conditional. It is based upon their obedience to what God has said to them or for them, what is for them by the angel. He says, I'm sending an angel before you. Beware of him. And everybody say this, obey his voice. Obey his voice. And do all that I command. Willing and obedient. Okay, now that's the condition. If they were to do what he said to do, obey his voice and be willing, then he said you will eat the good of the land. But if you do not obey his voice, he will not pardon your transgression. My name is in him. And calamity is going to happen to them. They're going to be devoured. He goes on to say in verse 25, And you shall serve the Lord your God and... He shall bless your bread, your water. I will take away sickness, sickness away from the midst of you. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land, and the number of thy days I will fulfill. So notice what he's saying. In, if you want to eat the good of the land, if you want to enter into a place in God where you are free from sickness, free from disease, free from miscarriages, free from all the calamities that can come our way, more or less isolated from all that, then we have to be willing to do His will and obedient to do His will. If we'll do that, we have the promise that those things will fall upon us. The blessings, the fullness of those blessings. If we don't do it, then we're going to be devoured. Now, what I want you to do is turn with me to the book of Numbers and the 14th chapter.
Now, I want to show you that prayer cannot change an unconditional judgment. Prayer cannot change an unconditional judgment. We need to know that if we're going to be involved in prayer. It cannot change an unconditional judgment. Now, remember, the believer is not supposed to be judged in the earth. If you judge not, you shall not be judged. We're not supposed to be judged in this earth. We can go our life, the whole, the whole life, throughout our whole life in this earth without being judged of the Lord. If we were to judge ourselves according to God's Word, judgment would never have to befall us. But if we refuse and rebel against the revealed will of God for our lives, then He said, I'm going to have to judge you. You remember the, the Corinthian individual who was committing fornication. You recall that he wouldn't listen to what the people of the church had to say, what the leaders of the church had to say. You recall that they didn't do anything about it, but Paul in spirit, knew what was going on, and he already determined or came to a judgment. And he says, you are to judge spiritual matters and spiritual things. I have already judged, and you should have already judged, that that wicked one be put out from among you. And be turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that the soul might be saved in the day of judgment. See, the only time a judgment has to come to us in this earth is when we are purposely, willfully, out of the will of God, not doing the will of God for our lives concerning, you know, spiritual things. We're not doing what He would have us to do in our lives. And if we get to a place that our hearts can become hardened, that's why people are interceding. They See, God knows that if you get to a place that your heart is so hardened that you will never do His will for your life, your life is going to be devoured. You, I don't care how much faith you get either. After an uh, unconditional judgment is pronounced, I don't care how much faith you have. You can't change it. You won't change it. And when it's too late, it's too late. You can't change it. Let's read this and I'll show what I'm talking about. See, if people are living in sin, and they think just because other people are praying for them, that it's okay. Mama's praying for me. Daddy's praying for me. I got the church praying for me. I may not be doing what God's will is, but that's okay. They're praying for me. I'm just going to hang on. I'm going to hang on. I want you to know that you're in a, in a dangerous place. I mean an extremely dangerous place. Now, I'm going to read it to you and then you'll see it more clearly. In chapter 14. Let's read uh, verse 1. You will recall that they've come to the land. You will recall that they sent spies, 12 to spy out the land. Ten came back with an evil report. Two came back with a report of faith. The congregation chose to believe in the evil report. They were refusing and rebelling against doing what the revealed will of God was for them at this time, which was entering in. Can you imagine this? Entering into these, this promised land meant entering into a place where there's no sickness, no disease, no sorrow, no miscarriages. Bread and water shall be blessed, the fruit of your ground, the cattle, everything shall be blessed. And they refused to enter into that land. They rebelled against entering into that land. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. 
And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would to God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would to God we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt to go back into the world? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Moses and Aaron tried to steal the people. He tried to get them to a place of obedience. He tried to get them to do the will of God for that, that congregation, we'll call it. He tried to get them to do what God's will was for them, but he couldn't do it. See, he had no control over their will. He couldn't do it for them. So what does he do? He resorts to falling on his face before God. Intercessory prayer. Groaning, travail, crying out unto the Lord. He couldn't do it by talking to them, by communicating to them. See, some people will be saved by communicating the gospel to them. Some will be healed by communicating the gospel to them. Some will come back from a backslidden state by communicating the gospel to them. And they'll just come and hear the word and say, okay, I was wrong and, and get back. But there are those that will never turn and come back to God. That will never be born again to the family of God. That will never be healed in their bodies. And somebody doesn't cry out unto the Lord and take their place in intercession. So Moses, notice this, he humbles himself, he falls on his face. A part of intercessory prayer is humbling yourself before God. To approach God, to have an approach to God, you have to go there in humility. You just can't go there in, a, in, in, in an improper attitude. You've got to go there in humility, in humbleness of, of mind. And prostrating yourself upon the, uh, the ground is a part of humbling yourself to God. Jesus did it, burdened down by prayer. I can go throughout the whole Bible and show you places where people that were humble before God, humble themselves before God, they did it through throwing themselves upon the ground. People were prostrated on the ground. Prostration was, number one, because the power of God came on them. Number two, they did it voluntarily to humble themselves before God. And number three, they were burdened down with prayer in such a way, in agonizing prayer, a heaviness of prayer upon themselves, upon the heart. They just could not stand up. They had to collapse. Like Jesus went out there and said, the flesh is weak, the spirit's willing. Could you not pray with me? Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. The flesh is weak, the spirit's willing. See, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you be willing and obedient, if you listen to your spirit, your spirit's willing. If you listen to your flesh, your flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Tempted to do what? To do what your flesh wants to do, to do what your will wants to do, and not to do what God's will is. Watch and pray. Moses could not steal the people. Aaron could not steal the people. So finally, when he saw what they were doing, how they were totally going against the will of God, all they could do was throw themselves on the ground. I'll tell you what, it was effective. I'll show you something here in a minute. It was mighty effective. But then, in verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, it is exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it us a land which flow with milk and honey. Only rebel not. Remember what that conditional prophecy was? If you rebel and refuse, ye shall be what? Devoured. Only rebel not against the Lord. Not against Moses. 
Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel, and the Lord said unto Joshua, Who did the Lord say unto? Who was on his face? I want you to know that when you get on your face before God in an act of, a true act of humility, God's going to speak to you. God spoke unto Moses in that position that he was in. Now I'm not trying to implement everybody falling on your face. Don't, get, don't take it wrong. I just want to show you. I don't have time to get into all these details. I pray we will, but... Well, anyhow, if you search the Scriptures for yourself daily and find out at the Berean church there, you'll find out that, that uh, prostrating yourself before the Lord is an act of humility. And Jesus did it. It wasn't too good for him. And he did it when he was burdened by prayer. And I'm sure he did it just as voluntarily when he went out to pray up on the mountain many times. Okay. But the Lord spake unto Moses... And he said, how long will this people provoke me? And now, and how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed them among them? I will smite them with the pestilence. I will disinherit them. And I will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Now, no, now notice this. Moses now is communing with the Father. He is interceding. This is intercession. See, intercession you know, is not only in other tongues. Intercession also is what you understand that God is speaking to you and you're speaking to Him. It's a dialogue. Moses sees the state of this people. They're, they're, look, look what God's going to do. Look what He wants to do. And He says, Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. I love this. He's telling off on the Lord. For thou broughtest up this people in the night from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar and a cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able. I like the way he's doing this. Don't you, now, does God care whether or not those people say He's not able? <laughs> but it's good intercession, isn't it? They're going to say, because you weren't able to bring this people into the land which He swore unto them, therefore He has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression. There's, he's a God of mercy, judgment, and faith. Here's his mercy. The Lord is long-suffering, great mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee. See, he is interceding on the behalf of Israel. And he says, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto thy greatness 
the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even unto now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Notice the intercessor made intercession, and he got something from God. He got exactly part of what he wanted. He's not going to get it all. But there is something he can do, and you'll see there's something he cannot do. He got their sins forgiven. When a backslider stays out there, you can come back and get your sins forgiven. But don't you know something? You're, giving your, you're putting yourself out into a position that your life may be endangered from entering into the fullness of uh, the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Your days may be shortened upon the earth. You're going to see that here in a minute. Verse 21. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times. Isn't that something? Ten miracles got them out. Now ten times they murmured against the Lord, tempted the Lord ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. If you obey willingness and obedience, you'll eat the good of the land. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit within him, and followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto. I want you to notice that he has pronounced a judgment upon the children of Israel. This judgment is not conditional. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's unconditional. This judgment is an unconditional judgment. He had to judge them for their actions. Now, although their transgression was pardoned, their judgment that he gave was unconditional. And when, thus saith the Lord, you will not enter into the land of promise, I want you to know that prayer can't change that. But I also want you to see, to get to that point, it's a, a long time of disobedience. And it's willful disobedience. Okay, now listen. Him will I bring in the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the, in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you in the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, saying to them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from the twenty years up and and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come in the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which you said should be afraid, then will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your hordens until their, your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Okay. The judgment was pronounced. Their sins were pardoned, but this unconditional judgment was pronounced as an act of judgment, a premature judgment concerning their lives. And I want you to see this. Although it was the will of God for them to enter into the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, and that they would eat the good of that land, their disobedience an unwillingness or their rebellion and their refusal to do the will of the Lord for their life caused judgment to fall upon them prematurely. And this judgment was 
He calls it a breach of promise. Look at verse 34. And the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of or revoke of promise. I, the Lord, have said it. I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Well, did they die in the wilderness? And all the prayer in the world wouldn't have gotten them into that promised land. There wasn't any way. When judgment comes this way, there isn't anything. There isn't any intercessory prayer. There isn't any type of prayer that's going to change that kind of judgment. It just won't happen. That is an unconditional judgment fulfilling the conditional promise or prophecy of if you rebel and refuse, you shall be devoured. Now, you want to hear a sad note? Twenty years old were those children. You know how long their lifespan was? Sixty. If they made it to sixty, that's as long as they could live. He said twenty years and up, didn't he? You mean to tell me it doesn't matter how much faith they had? No, it doesn't matter how much faith they had. There's a breach of promise. Their disobedience. You say, why? Because, you see, God couldn't fulfill for their lives what He, would, what he wanted to. He couldn't do. Part of his, his program was altered. Oh, His will would be carried out, but it was altered. And I want you to know that when that judgment falls, it befalls somebody. And it's an unconditional. Remember, I said unconditional. A conditional one can be changed, and I'll share that with you. Then, although they were 20 years old, I mean, they knew that they'd die by 60. And all the prayer in the world wouldn't let, let them live a day after 60. He says, when they're all gone, then I'll take the, the 19-year-old and under, and they'll enter in. And that's exactly the way it happened, too. See, Moses got their sin pardoned, but Moses couldn't straighten their lives out. Only they could have straightened their lives out by obeying the Lord, being willing and obedient. Remember when Hezekiah was told, set thine house in order for this, for thou shalt truly die? That was conditional, based upon his repentance, or continuing to live in his sin. He turned his face to the wall, he repented, the Lord heard him, said, I grant you 15 more years. That was conditional. It was based upon his repentance. When it's unconditional, and you're judged, unconditional judgment. Another example, very quickly. Remember when David committed sin with Bathsheba? And finally, he, his one sin led to another sin. He tried to cover it up. Then he, saw, he sent for Uriah, her husband, and, and got him drunk. And then when he would not have intimate relationship with his wife, he sent him out to war to planted, or plotted his murder. After he plotted his murder... He thought everything was okay. Now he can marry Bathsheba because she was with child. Now that she's married to him, he says, isn't this beautiful? I'm married now and she's going to have a baby and everything's fine. Well, that, see, sin ran its full course. Sin, when it, run, when it runs its full course, is going to bring forth death. God, the Father, sent Nathan the prophet to, to David and he said, he came to David and he said, uh, oh, king. King said, yes. He said, well, there was an individual that had many lambs, sheep, flock, herd, and just had everything they could possibly hope and desire, want to have. And there was this one individual who just had one little lamb. 
and they loved it and played with it, and the children loved it and played with it, and they did things. Just, just part of the family. Well, this one rich fellow had someone come to their house. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.